Okay, and I trust that you do. If you can open with me to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, and welcome to week number 4 of our journey through this glorious Gospel and hearing John continually call all of us to believe, to believe and keep believing in Jesus as the Son of God. And let me just say something um, from the beginning that might sound weird at first, but I'm going to say it nonetheless. It is this. Although there is only one way to heaven, so there is only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ, so one way to heaven, but there are, hear this, there are many paths to Jesus. There are many paths to Jesus, and what I mean by that is this, Jesus is not dependent on just one set of circumstances in order for a person to be eligible for salvation. Or another way to say that is this, Jesus saves all kinds of people from all different backgrounds, from all different walks of life, from all different past experiences, he saves, to which we say, praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. And it begins as Jesus calls us from wherever we are to come to him and to follow him. As we just sang, the footsteps of Jesus, we follow him. We follow and we keep following. And one of the more probably ridiculous episodes of the TV show, The, the Office. Um, Michael, who was the regional manager of this small paper company, was um, having a hard time because of advances in technology. And he's having a hard time keeping up. So in an effort to win back clients he lost, he wanted to have a personal touch, and he goes out on this sales call. Well, while he is going out trying to make these sales call, he finds himself blindly following the GPS um, that is attached to the car. And as he's blindly following the GPS, the GPS uh, system tells him to turn right. And he insists on following the instructions, even though immediately to his right is a lake. So Michael dutifully follows the GPS and plunges right into the lake, just goes right in. Of course, he comes up with the only logical conclusion is that technology is trying to kill him. So that was the only logical conclusion. Many years ago, I've told this story before, but many years ago, when GPS first started coming out and you would, would have it, myself and Brother Curtis were going to meet our city councilman. And Brother Curtis said, oh, I, I will give you directions. And he typed it in, and we're going downtown. And we got to a place where literally this thing um, was screaming out to us, turn right, turn right. Well, right was the St. John's River. And, uh, of course, um, I chose to ignore that voice. And Brother Curtis would not want me at all to drive in the river, but also he was not willing to admit that his GPS was wrong either. So it was kind of like a, a conflict there that we had to work through. But let me just, I say all that to say this. Who you follow matters. It matters. It, it always has. It always will. And all of us, we are wired to follow. We're wired to follow. Everyone follows someone or something. We follow trends. We might follow fashion trends. We follow people on social media and our friends on Facebook. We follow sports teams. So the question isn't, will we follow? The question really is, who are we following? Who are we currently following? Who will we follow? Is the one that we are following worthy of us following them? And when we think about this Christian scene, we're going to see today Jesus coming on the scene and soon-to-be followers having a decision to make, to follow him as Jesus is calling them to come and see 
Come and see all, all of who I am and follow me. So if we're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's word this morning. We're going to read John 1, beginning at verse 35 through verse 51. And it says this, The next day again John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go on to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, a city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the, also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father, we just, again, as we dive into your word, we ask you, God, by your word, through your spirit, to speak to us. Jesus, as you are working in our lives, Lord, lead us, and may we follow. May we continue to come to you, to follow you, to see all that you are, to trust you more and more. Just have your way in this time together today. In Jesus' name, amen, and you may be seated. So before we dive in, I want to do a little word association with us this morning. So a little word association. So what kind of person do you picture when I say the word vegan? So just in your mind, think about that. What about when I say the word activist? What about bookworm or nerd? You know, what kind of person comes to mind when you hear the word Democrat? What kind of person comes to mind when you hear the word Republican? What kind of, word, or what kind of picture comes to mind when you hear the word athlete? Or what kind of picture comes to mind when you hear the word hero? Now, what comes to your mind when I say the word Christian? You know, if, if you were to walk on the street and ask people, are you a Christian? You would have many that would immediately say yes. You would also have many that would immediately say no. Some would say, yes, I'm a Christian, but... Others would say, well, I think I'm a Christian. Or even others would say, yes, but I'm not like whoever um, they, they might uh, call into or bring to the forefront. I'm not like them. I'm not like that. And my prayer this morning is that God would place within our hearts a holy discontent. Now, I know the Bible calls us to be content in all things, but that God would give us a holy discontent 
where we grow tired, if this is true of us, where we grow tired of calling ourselves Christians, which means Christ followers, while really not following Christ at all. And what I mean by that is this. Here's a strange fact. The first followers of Jesus didn't call themselves Christians. They were called Christians. In Acts 11, 26, in Antioch, they were called Christians. And it was a derogatory term. Hey, look at those little Christ, or look at those Christ followers. So if, if the first Christians or the first Christ followers didn't call themselves Christians, then what do they call themselves? And I'm glad you asked. Because the answer is they called themselves disciples. Follow with me here. The word Christian appears only three times in the New Testament, whereas the word disciple appears 281 times in the New Testament. So for every one time the word Christian appears, you have 90-something times where the word disciple appears. And the point that I want to set before us this morning is this, that our use of the term Christian often, if we're not careful, obscures from the fact that many people call themselves Christians and yet get this, they're not following Jesus. Like, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, tell me the last place that the Lord led you. Well, down an aisle 40 years ago. So there's, the church is filled and the world is filled with people who call themselves Christians and yet they don't follow Jesus. In their minds, following Jesus is an optional thing. Yes, I'm a Christ follower, but I don't really follow Christ. It doesn't make any sense. There's a book that was written many years ago. It's called The Cost of Discipleship. There's actually a cost of discipleship written by a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was killed um, because of his faith and because of um, what his faith led him to do. But in the book, he says this. When we are called to follow Christ... We are summoned to an exclusive attachment to his person. Christ calls, the disciple follows. That is grace and commandment in one. But then he says this, Christianity without the living Christ is inevitably Christianity without discipleship. And Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. In such a religion, there is trust in God, but no following of Christ. It may be the ideal way, he writes, but it is devoid of all promise. And listen to what he says. Jesus will certainly reject it. So any form of Christianity that we put forward where we don't follow Christ, Jesus rejects it. Jesus rejects that form of Christianity. So I want to lay before us this morning three pictures of discipleship along with the results of following Jesus, truly following Jesus, what those results brings into our lives. So three truths this morning. First is this, seek him and be transformed. Seek him, seek Jesus and be transformed. Look at verse 37. It says, the two disciples heard him say this. So What we are told from the very beginning is we're introduced to John the Baptist again who says, Behold the Lamb of God. Well, John the Baptist had two disciples that were following him. We know one was Andrew. We're pretty sure the second one was John. They hear John say, Behold the Lamb of God. So they begin to follow Jesus. Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them and said, What are you seeking? These are the first red letters in the Gospel of John. You know, when God asks a question, he's not doing so because he doesn't know the answer. God knows the answer. He's asking the question so that we will come to know the answer. For instance, the very first question in the Bible is Genesis 3. 
Adam and Eve had sinned, and they were hiding from God. And God comes and says, Adam, where are you? Now, God wasn't saying, Adam, please give me your latitude and longitude so I can find where you are. I've misplaced you. That's not what he was saying. He knew exactly where Adam was, but he wanted Adam and Eve to come to the realization, this is where we are, and this is why we're here. So he wanted them to realize it. We get to the New Testament, and Jesus comes on the scene, and he asks questions. In Matthew 16, he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And then he says to them, well, who do you say that I am? He wanted his disciples to identify what they really believed about him. In John 5, we'll come to this um, in a couple months, Jesus asked a paralyzed man, do you want to be made whole? Now, what kind of question is that? Do you want to be made whole? Of course I want to be made whole. But why does Jesus ask that question? And here's why. Because we are so prideful that oftentimes we refuse to admit our need. Did you know that our pride keeps us from admitting the needs that are obvious? That are obvious to others around us and obviously they're obvious to to God. At the end of John's gospel, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He asked him that three different times because Peter denied Jesus three times. These are very specific questions. Questions meant to provoke an inner evaluation. Now back to this question. What do you seek? So these are our disciples. They're seeking him. But here's the question. Are they just seeking? Are they seeking him or is he seeking them? You know, whenever the supernatural intersects with the natural, we can quickly become confused. And one of the greatest areas of confusion is when the divine calling or the divine choice of God intersects with our responsibility and our choice. So how can both be true? How can God choose us and yet we have to choose him? It seems impossible to grasp, but here's a thought. Think about it this way. An airline uh, is slated to fly from London to New York. The destination has already been uh, set or determined by proper authorities. Nothing except something, some form of intervention, nothing can, can change it. However, on board the airline are passengers with free will. They've already made a series of choices. Number one, they've chosen to fly. Number two, they've chosen what airline to, to fly. Number three, they've chosen what date to leave on. Number four, they've uh, chosen what part of the plane they're going to sit in, or to put it differently, what part of the plane they can afford to sit in, whether it be first class, business class, or economy. They've made these decisions, and then once they're on board, they're not chained. They have enormous freedom. They are freedom to move around. They are free to eat, to sleep, to to read, to talk, to watch movies, whatever it is. So at the same time, they're being carried to their predetermined port. So you have sovereign purpose. You are going from A to B. And at the same time, you have human freedom. They don't contradict. So on one hand, you have men following Christ, men making a Cognizant decision to follow Christ, seeking him, even saying we have found him. At the same time, reading through this event, it seems like Jesus had been anticipating them all along. It almost seems as if Jesus is control, in control of it all. So which is it? Did they choose him or did he choose them? 
Well, let me answer that by saying this. Ultimately, God is the initiator of our salvation. God is the initiator of our calling to him. And I'm going to kind of go a little bit deeper in that in just a second. But God is the one who initiates salvation. But we're confused often because of our perspective and because of the tension that seems to exist between God's calling and our responsibility. But just think about our perspective here. There's a story told of three people that were visiting the Grand Canyon. And they got off the bus all at the same time. And they had this beautiful scene and they all had a perspective. So one was an artist and the artist said, what a magnificent panorama to put on canvas. The next was a pastor who looked at the scene and said, what a beautiful example of the majesty and handiwork of a creative God. The third was a cowboy who looked and said, what a terrible place to lose a cow. Now, here's the point. All of these statements are correct, but they're all from different perspectives. And from a divine perspective, God is a choosing God, an initiating God, meaning we would not know God unless God revealed himself to us. We would not seek God unless God were seeking us. Yet from a human perspective, we are called by him and we must respond to him and we can either follow or we can reject and we can walk away. Now, if you feel that tension today, don't throw that away. There's a good tension there between God's sovereignty and our responsibility, that we are responsible, we are held accountable. And then don't miss Andrew and John's response. Look at verse 38. They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus said to them, come and you will see. Just listen to that. Jesus is saying, come, follow me. You'll see everything you need to see. You'll learn everything you need to know. Just come. And then don't miss the second half of verse 39 that says this. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. So why would John write what time it is? It seems like kind of just a throwaway statement. Why include the time here? And here's what most people believe. John's writing this gospel, and John was one with Andrew that went and followed Jesus in this moment. So John wrote about the time because John remembered the exact moment that his life changed. John wrote this gospel some 60 years after this event, but for him, it was like yesterday. He never forgot the exact moment that his life changed. He never forgot that. Do you have that memory Do you have that memory of a life change? Is it a distant memory? I pray that it's not. I pray that God is continuing to change you, to do a work in your life. And then the beautiful thing is that Andrew, in believing, immediately goes and gets his brother, Simon. Look at verses 41 and 42. We're going to address this at the end of the service as well. But verses 41 and 42 says, He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John, meaning that Jesus already knew who he was. And then Jesus said, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Kind of a weird way to to meet someone, right? Hey, this is who you are, but I'm not calling you that. I'm calling you something different. It's kind of a weird way to, to handle things. 
But when Jesus met Simon, he changed his name to Peter. He gives him a new name. And here's the point. When God changes a name, it's often a prophetic declaration. It's a way for God to declare his intent for that individual. God changed Abram's name to Abraham, meaning he would be a father of many nations. And here, Jesus is declaring his intention to transform Simon into Peter. And the name Peter means, anybody? It means rock. To transform him into a rock. Now, at this moment, Simon was nothing like a rock. He was emotionally unstable. Simon was impulsive. In fact, he had this foot-shaped hole in his mouth because he was always sticking his foot in it. I mean, this is who he was. This is how he responded. Yet, his life and his identity radically changed when he met Jesus. Let me say it this way. Following Jesus changes the trajectory of your life. In fact, you go from here to here. And, and we, we are moving towards him. Following Jesus changes that. And when we meet Jesus, we are given, hear this, a new identity. Paul says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And if you have met Jesus, here's what he has said to you. I know who you are, but I know who you will be. I know who you will be. And the fact that you are here this morning means he's not done. He is not done with you and with me. Praise God. So we seek him and we're transformed by him. But then secondly, the second picture is this. We see him, so see him and be known. See him and be known. Look at verse 47. Kind of move to the end of this chapter. Verse 47, it says that Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him. And Jesus says to him, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So Nathanael comes to see Jesus. Yet Jesus, of course, according from his words, he kind of already knows who he is. He already knows. He identifies. And then in verse 48, Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Like, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And then verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. So whatever was happening in the heart and life of Nathanael under that fig tree, when Jesus revealed it, it shook Nathaniel to the core. It shook him to the core because I don't know if he was doing something bad. I don't think so. But I think just the knowledge of someone else knowing him shook him to the core. And immediately he said, you are the son of God. No less than seven times in these 16 verses that we just read, Jesus is given some either a title or a descriptor that John is using to show us that knowing Christ makes all the difference for these men. It's showing that when Jesus said, what are you seeking? That all of these men that we're being introduced, introduced to were seeking different things. They were all seeking different things, yet they found all that they were seeking in Jesus. They saw him and they saw him for who he was. And it's fascinating that Nathaniel is convinced by Jesus' supernatural knowledge of him and what was taking place under the tree, yet how tragic that thousands of other Israelites failed to see the innumerable miracles of Jesus, like healing the sick, 
causing the lame to walk, the blind to see, even raising the dead, and they missed it. And how tragic, even today, that so many refuse to know the one who knows them fully. Jesus, knowing Nathanael, allowed Nathanael to see Jesus for who he was and who he is. Don't turn away from the one who knows you truly. Don't turn away from him. Turn to him. In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer writes this, What matters supremely, therefore, is not the fact that I know God, but the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palm of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. Then he says this, I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. There is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me and no moment when his care falters. And here's the message of that today. Hear this, the one who knows you fully and truly loves you deeply. The one who knows everything there is to know about you. Not just the good that you want other people to see, but the bad that we hide. He knows it all, and yet he loves us deeply. And here's what we come to realize. Being known by God gives us comfort in the dark night of our soul. One Puritan called being known by God the full and final comfort of a believer. Jesus knows every hair on our head that's easier for some than for others but he knows it he knows about every ache every wound every thought every emotion he knows about every trial he knows about every unsuccessful and unfulfilled search we've ever had in our lives and Jesus isn't unaware of the waves that are crashing upon you even today He is not unaware. We have the king of all kings who has affection on us. He knows us. He cares for us. He has made a way for us. And this chapter ends in verse 51 with Jesus declaring himself to be the latter. Jesus declaring himself to be the connection point between earth and heaven. So in a world full of ladder-based religions, so we have a world full of religions that say work and climb your way and you keep climbing and eventually you will get to God. In a world that says that, Jesus offers a better alternative because Jesus isn't at the top of a ladder waiting for us to climb up to him. No, Jesus climbed down to us. He descended to us the son of god descended from his throne he took on human flesh to live to suffer to die and praise god to rise he came down into your sin and my sin into our suffering into our human mess and he did so for us therefore jesus didn't wait for us to get our act together he came down He didn't wait for us to acknowledge him. He came down. He didn't wait for us to make any movement towards him. He came down. And he didn't wait for us to love him first. He loved us first, and he still came down. He came down. See him for who he is and be known. Be known by him. Know that he knows every detail about your life, and he hasn't stopped loving you yet and he won't 
and he wants. So see him and be known by him. And then lastly, lastly, and it gets better, share him and be used. Share him and be used. Be used by him. Verse 40, as you see on the screen, it says one of the two. Follow Jesus was, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And then verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. And here's what I love about Andrew. Andrew couldn't help himself. The news was too good. He had to tell somebody. So he started with his family and he starts with his brother. What a message. Jesus has come. Jesus has come. And here's what we know throughout Scripture. People become known for a lot of many different things. Noah is known as a righteous man in the midst of an evil generation. David is known as the man after God's own heart. Peter is known as the outspoken and the erratic disciple. John is known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Judas is known as the betrayer. Paul is known as the fearless proclaimer of the gospel. And Andrew is known for bringing people to Jesus. In fact, just a little nugget here. Every time Andrew appears in a narrative in the gospel, so every time Andrew appears in the gospel, he is bringing someone to Jesus. Hear that again, because I know that noise just kind of threw our minds off. Every time we see Andrew, he's bringing people to Jesus. He is the one that brings this little boy with the fish and loaves to Jesus. In John 12, there are Greeks that are trying to get to Jesus, and Andrew brings them to him. Andrew didn't say much. Andrew didn't write any books. Andrew didn't preach any powerful messages that we know of, but he always brought people to Jesus. He always brought people. What a message for us. What a me- It frees us because hear this this morning. We don't have to. It's not our job to transform people into Christians. And it's not our job to convict people of sin. It's our job to bring people to Jesus and to bring Jesus to them. That is our job. That is what we are called to do. It's not our job to make people do what we want them to do. Our task is to bring Jesus to them or bring them to Jesus and let Jesus do what he does that we can't do. We can't change the heart of people. We can't change sinful hearts. But Jesus can. We can't make people see who he is, but Jesus can. And the beautiful thing is Jesus continues. As we bring people, he opens their eyes, and then he continues to work through us. Are you fulfilling that task? Are you bringing people to Jesus? Are you bringing Jesus to other people? Listen, I know that we all have things in our lives. We all have doubts. I love that the Gospel of John kind of is bookended. It begins and it ends with doubt. It begins kind of with the doubt of Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And it ends with the doubt of Thomas. So there's doubt in our lives. And sometimes we doubt whether God can still use us. Others of us, we look at our lives and we know the certainty that we are broken. We're cracked. We're bruised. We're battered. And we're we're told or we even think to ourselves, how can God use this? How can God use my brokenness? How can God use this? And I want to end this morning by telling this this story. And I I pray that you will see the the beauty of what God 
can do is we share him, how God can use us to make much of him. The story is told of a water bearer in India who had two large pots, each hung on each end of a pole which he carried around his neck. So he was a water bearer, had two pots, they hung on each end of of a pole. One of the pots, however, had a crack in it, while the other pot was perfect and always delivered the full portion of of water at the end of a long walk from the stream to the master's house. So the crack pot always arrived only half full. This went on daily for years, with the bearer delivering only one and a half pots of water to his master's house every single day. Of course, the perfect pot was proud of its accomplishment, perfect in the purpose of which it had been made, but the poor crackpot was ashamed of its imperfection and was miserable that it was only able to accomplish half of what it had been created to do. The crackpot perceived itself as a total failure and one day made the following confession to the water bearer. I'm ashamed of myself and I want to apologize to you. By which the water bearer said, why, what are you ashamed of? And the pot said, I am ashamed that I am only able to deliver half of my load because of this crack in my side and how it causes water to leak out all the way back to your master's house. Because of my flaws, you have to do all of this work and you don't get full value from your efforts. The water bearer felt sorry for the old crack pot. And in his compassion, he said, as we return to the master's house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. So indeed, as they went up the hill, the old crack pot took notice of the sun warming the beautiful wild flowers on the side of the path. And this cheered it some. But at the end of the trail, it still felt bad because it had leaked out half of its load. And so again, it apologized to the water bearer for this failure. For failure in this magnitude. And the bearer said to the pot, did you notice that there were only flowers on your side of the path, but not on the other pot's side? That's because I've always known about your flaw, and I took advantage of it. I planted flower seeds on your side of the path, and every day while we walk from the seam, or from the stream, excuse me, you've watered them. I have been able to pick these beautiful flowers to decorate my master's table because of you. Without you being just the way you are, we would not have this beauty to grace my master's house. Let me say this this morning. I, I want you to hear this. Each one of us has unique flaws. There's not a person, every single one of you in here, you're going to hear your pastor say this, every single one of you in here, you are a crackpot. That is what we are. You are a, you're like, I can't believe my pastor would say that. Well, I'll say it again. You're a cracked pot. That is what we are. But if we allow it, the Lord will use our flaws to grace his father's table. To do something beautiful. In God's great economy, nothing goes to waste. So as we seek ways to minister together, as God calls us to the appointment that he has placed before us, don't be afraid of your flaws. Don't be afraid of doubts or fears or things that, that might keep you from taking this journey. Acknowledge them and then share him and watch him use you. 
Share him and watch him use you. Go out boldly knowing that in our weakness, he's strong. In your weakness, you see his strength. So you know what I think? I think that if we just let God get a hold of our lives, if we just let God get a hold of us, if we will truly follow Jesus, if we'll hear him say, follow me or come and see, and we keep coming to him, we keep following him, no matter what flaws we have when we come to him, if you let him pour into you, if you let him keep pouring into you, he will take what pours out from you and he will use it all for his glory. He will use it all for his glory. Let him pour out or pour into you. And that which he pours into you through our cracks and through our humanness will pour out and God will use it to make much of him. Oh, that we would seek him and be transformed. Seek him. Keep seeking him. What an amazing promise we have in Jeremiah 29 that if we seek him, we will find him if we seek him with all of our hearts. Why will we, why will we find him? Because he is making himself known. Before we seek him, he's seeking us. You might be saying, well, I don't feel like that. I don't feel like God is seeking me. Well, the fact that you're here proves that he is. The fact that you're here today proves that God is seeking after you. Seek him and be transformed and then see him and be known by him. Allow him to know you. Because whether you know it or not, he knows you. He knows every detail of your life. And he doesn't turn away from you. He doesn't turn away when he sees the cracks and the failures. Instead, he presses in and he loves you. Be known. Be known by the one who loves you. And then share him. Share with others what he's done for you. Don't point people to, to yourself. Don't point people to a church. And please, don't point people to me. Point people to Jesus. Amen. Continually point people to him. Always only to him and see how God will use you as you bring people to him or as you bring him to people. Oh, that we would just come and that we would see and that we would just be in awe and continue to be in awe of who he is. May you never, may you never grow tired of who he is. And if you have grown tired of who he is, then you are, then you are depending on your own wisdom and you need to once again open this book and begin to know him again for who he is. For he is more than our minds can ever grasp. Oh, how he knows us. Oh, how he loves us. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand this morning. We're going to call Brother Frank and the musicians forward as we enter in this time of invitation and consecration. And again, we ask whatever God is speaking into your heart in this moment, that you would you'd be obedient. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And Jesus, we thank you that you are, you are God who seeks us. Jesus, you said... You did not choose me, but I have chosen you. There's a tension there, and yet, Lord, you say, follow me. Make a decision. And so for all of us who are here today, we're here because, Lord, you have saw fit to bring us here. Therefore, this message isn't just by accident. This message is on purpose. And it's part of your purpose, God, in us following you, being transformed by you, seeing you for who you are, and being known by you. Lord, the, the way of this world, the way that we're taught in this world is to cover up our flaws, 
to cover up our, our failures and not let people into certain areas and certain parts of our lives. And yet, Jesus, you know them all. You know them all, and yet you love us still. That's the beauty of being known by you, is as we, as we open our lives to you, you take away our shame. And you fill us with love. You fill us with grace and mercy. You allow us to share you and Lord, you use us. As you use Andrew, as you use Philip, Lord, use us. Lord, help us to bring people to you and help us to bring you to people. Just use us. Use our flaws. Use our cracks, Lord. As we, as you pour into us, Lord, pour out. Thank you, Lord. Finish this time. In Jesus' name, amen.